answer in the book of Leviticus is this. How can one enter and dwell in the presence of the Holy Lord? How can one enter and dwell in the presence of the Holy Lord? Which is why I titled this series, In the Presence of the Holy God. Today, we're going we're gonna to start answering that question. And really, that question can be phrased in many different ways. Um, and, and the way that I want to phrase the question today for this sermon is this. How then does one worship God? When we talk about entering and dwelling into the presence of God, we're really asking ourselves, how does one come to worship God? And so take your Bibles with me, turn to Leviticus chapter 1. I want us to take a look at this. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. Uh, instead, I'm just going to preach through it. I'll point out certain verses here and there. But I want us first to point our eyes back to the passage in Exodus, right before Leviticus chapter 1. Right, because Exodus ends with the tabernacle being built, and the glory of God is settled upon the tabernacle, like a, and it says there's a cloud that surrounded it. Right, I, I don't know what it looks like, and we maybe, maybe with our unimaginative minds today, we probably think it's just like a little fog and mist around it. But it's probably like a really dense cloud. That's probably what it looked like. There's a cloud that surrounded the tabernacle. And within, in, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, we see a tension. A tension happen. And the tension is this. It says in Exodus 40, verse 35, that Moses, Moses, the one who led Israel out of Egypt, Moses, the one who encountered God with the burning bush, Moses, the one who God gave the Ten Commandments, Moses, the one whom God says, come up to me, let me talk to you, you are my friend. Moses here, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. If Moses couldn't enter the tent, couldn't enter the tabernacle, Moses, this man of God, who can enter then? And that's tension. Leviticus then continues the story and it seeks to answer this question. And we see here in verse 1, right? Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, it's, it's actually a continuation of the story. <clears throat> the ESV doesn't, doesn't do it justice. It just simply says the Lord called Moses. But in the NASB, I believe it says the word dead, right? It begins with the word dead. It's a continuation of the story, right? And so it's, really it should be translated, Then the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd and from the flock. I want you guys first to notice in verse 1 that the answer to man's dilemma here, man's dilemma ever since the Garden of Eden when man was kicked out of paradise, separated from God, the answer to man's dilemma of being separated and alienated by God because of our sin, because of man's sin, it's answered not by us, not by some man of God. It's answered by God himself. And it says here, God called Moses, he spoke to him, and he said he spoke to him and is say, and saying this. We see here three different words, three different Hebrew words, used to describe how this instruction comes from God. The Word of God is what will provide the answer to our greatest needs. And so the way back to God, the way back to God in His presence, comes from Him, comes from God Himself. It's based on His terms, His rules. We are to obey that because it is His holiness that is at stake when it comes to our sin. It says here in verse 1 that God spoke, He called Moses, spoke to him from the tent of meeting. From the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is, just to kind of talk about this, because they talk about the tent of meeting throughout Leviticus, it's another name for the tabernacle. And it's called this because it's, a, it's where man will meet with God. The tent of meeting. To kind of have you guys understand tabernacle, it Kind of looks something like this. Like there's, there's, there's the tabernacle, the main tabernacle in the middle. 
all right? But around it, there's a courtyard, all right? So within the tabernacle, that's where the tent of meeting is, all right? Within that tabernacle, we have several things. We have the Holy of Holies, right, which has the Ark of the Covenant. It's cut off by a veil, and then there's this holy place within the tabernacle that has an altar, a table where there's this loaf of bread sitting there. It's, uh, if you think about it, it's kind of weird. This bread's just there. It's getting stale, but it's it's what God asks Israel to do. So they have a table with this bread, and there's this lampstand where this lamp actually shines light onto the bread. All right, and there's symbolism behind that. I don't have time to get into it, but that's what's going on within the tabernacle. All right. So the holy holy is like the place where nobody enters. Like the high priest, only one time per year, one high priest can enter in. The holy place is where different priests can kind of get in there, but not everyone. And then, the, and then there's this courtyard around it. And within the courtyard, there is a bronze laver and a bronze altar. The bronze altar is where the burnt offerings are being offered. And the laver is like this place where they wash, wash all the animal sacrifices. And so, this is what's going on within the courtyard, and then there's an entrance somewhere. Um, I don't know exactly where. I think they marked the red line there, but I think what I remember reading was the entrance is actually the north side. So, I, I'm not exactly sure this diagram is correct. I just pulled it off the internet. <clears throat> but that's kind of what we see here. And I want to point this out because today, we're going to be focusing upon the burnt offerings. Which means it's going, we're going to be focusing upon this altar here. That's where most of the offerings are going to be done here. Look with me in verse 2. The way to God, the way to the holy God is through offering. Right? It says here, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord. Right? The way to God is through an offering. The word offering, it shares the same root as the Hebrew word to draw near. Right? To draw near. So what... What, is, what he's saying here is that if anyone of you brings an offering, meaning if anyone of you draws near to God with an offering, we see here that these offerings, they're meant to draw the individual closer to God. And this is really an introduction to the book of Leviticus, that now God's going to tell us these are the offerings you need to do. And there are five offerings that the Lord ordains here. Right? In the first seven chapters, or first six or seven chapters-ish, there's five major offerings that Israel uh, needs to do, that God ordains for Israel. The, the first group of offerings, the common offerings, or sometimes called the food offerings, uh, they're grouped together, the first three, the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the peace offerings. We see that in the first three chapters. And they're grouped together because these are food offerings that have a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. I'm just... I don't know exactly what that smells. I mean, does God even smell? He's, he's not, he's spirit, he doesn't have a nose. It's really, it's symbolism saying that this pleases God. And in the last two offerings, they're, they're an uh, expiatory offering. Expiatory offering meaning they're offerings used to atone for sin. And that's the sin offering, the guilt offering. And we'll, we'll cover those later as well. I, I, I lay this all out so that you can see what's going on. You can see what we're going to be covering next few weeks. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the burnt offerings. Next week, we'll talk about the grain and peace offerings together. And then we'll tackle the sin offerings and guilt offerings after that. However, even though Leviticus lists out these offerings in this order, in terms of order of service, uh, and actually in Leviticus chapter 9, we see the inaugural service, so the first service Israel does with these offerings. We see that the sin and guilt offerings are actually offered first because sin needs to be atoned first. Right? Our sin needs to be atoned first before we can even bring anything else to God. So the sin and guilt offerings are offered first, then the burnt and grain offerings, which are usually offered together, right? they come next, and then lastly, the peace offering. So that's usually the order of how the offerings are being done within a service. But the reason why Leviticus begins chapter 1 with the burnt offering is probably because this is the most important one for Israel to know. Burnt offerings were the most common and most frequently practiced offering. In Numbers chapter 28, they were told to perform this offering twice a day. Twice a day. Imagine doing these 
these sacrifices twice a day. And that's part of your daily routine. You are to do this offering twice a day, and you are to do it on every special feast day. So within the calendar year of Israel, there are special feasts, and they were all to do the burnt offerings. But more importantly, these burnt offerings were probably the most important ones because they represent the ultimate goal behind all of these offerings. The ultimate goal is this, is to show us the way where the, where the worshiper, the person who's bringing this offering, can be brought near to God. The word for burnt offerings is the word Hebrew word olah, which literally means ascending. And the reason why is that is because the burnt offering, you, you sacrifice the animal, you burn the carcass, and you see the smoke ascend to heaven. And it's supposed to symbolize, supposed to symbolize this pleasing aroma to God, but also symbolize how we are then drawn near to God as the smoke goes up to heaven. I'll talk about this more as we go into the sermon. And what we see here then, what we see here with these offerings is that God is prescribing a way for how his people ought to come and worship him. Let's dig into it a little bit. So let's talk about the burnt offerings. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. Burnt offering, let's look at the procedure. All right. All right. So we're just going, we're just going to quickly scan through this chapter, go through the text here. First, we see here the instructions beginning with verse three. The instructions are actually divided into three categories, all right? So we see in verse 3, it says here, if this offering, talking about a burnt offering, if this offering is a burnt offering from the herd, then you should offer it a male without blemish. Then we look at verse 10. If this gift is for a burnt offering, it's from the flock, so different from the herd, a flock, from the sheep or goats, you should bring a male without blemish. And then verse 14, same thing. If this offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he should bring his offering of turtle doves and pigeons. All right, so we see here three categories based on the on the animal type, right? The kind of animal that the worshippers bring to this offering. And the category the categories here are organized by value, right? The the, the animals from the herd they're the most valuable of all three of them. Then the flock, then the birds, right? The so birds are the cheapest. They're they're birds. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I know somebody here really likes this bird game, but birds here, they're not valuable, okay? They're not valuable. And, and we see here that, you know, the, there's different types of burnt offerings, all right? There are different types of burnt offerings, and, we, and we, we will see actually the same categorizations in the grain and peace offerings later next week. What they're all, the reason why God has these different values to these animals, and why he prescribes them is because God is really telling us, hey, everyone is welcome to come and worship me. Everyone is welcome no matter what, no, doesn't matter what financial status you're in. Some of you guys don't have a, a cattle from the herd. Some of you guys don't, may not have a lamb or a goat to sacrifice. But it's okay. There's a way for all of everyone to enter. What's important is that there has to be a sacrifice to be made. There has to be some kind of sacrifice. There has to be a sacrifice to bring people near to God. We've got to keep in mind that when we think about these categories, they're not tiered by significance or value. Right? They're not tiered by significance or value. Right? God, again, he's, make, he's making an opportunity for everyone to come and worship Him. And that's, but that's a mistake Israel made, isn't it? Israel made a mistake with these categories. As the years went on, they started putting more value and significance in the burnt offerings that came from the herd over the flock or birds. You see, they, they started saying that if you offer an animal from the herd, then you're closer to God than those who offer a bird. But that's not what God is saying here. That's not the point. God is saying that everyone is welcome. It's a reminder for us that you don't need more money. You don't need more, more IQ, more talents, more personality. You're, everybody's born in different contexts and circumstances. But every single one of you are called to live your life for God and worship Him. Each person is called to consecrate their lives for God. And so we see here, God is really providing an opportunity for everyone. That's what's going on here. But let's take a closer look at the ritual itself. All right, let's take a look at the ritual itself. 
the ritual here um, is the same for an animal slightly from the herd and the flock. So, right, so the cattle, the, the sheep, the goats, it's the same ritual. The bird offering is a little bit different, um, and I'll, I'll point that out later. I'll point that out as we go along, but let's, let's use the bird offerings of the herd and the flock as kind of the foundation to work off of. So first, <clears throat> the worshiper must select a male without blemish, right? So if it's from the herd or the flock, they must select a male without blemish, all right? Um, now, whoops, let me go back. So I, I don't know, I don't know why they say to choose a male. These males were just considered more viable than the females back then with amongst animals. Not sure why, it's just part of the culture. We're not going to get into all that. This is not a gender issue. But we're, we're focusing here, all right, that we're, we're, what we're seeing here is that the cream of the crop is just being selected. All right, the cream of the crop. When you look upon, if, you have, if you're a farmer, you have a herd, or you have sheep, you're choosing your best one. All right, that's, that's the point that's going on here. All right, you're choosing your best one. And so you're, you're, you're supposed to choose a male without blemish. What does it mean by without blemish? Uh, it's actually, without blemish, we'll actually see this described later on in Leviticus in more detail, but all of which to say is that this animal is pristine. Right? This animal doesn't have any scars. Its limbs are all the same length, so it's not like wobbling when it walks. It, it has no bruises, no scabs. Its eyesight, they're not blind. And so this is, this is a pristine animal. The worshiper brings this animal to the entrance, and what will happen is the priest will inspect this animal, right? To make sure this, that this animal is truly a male and truly without blemish. And the priest will inspect it. And, 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 so, and so we see this, this check going on. It's like TSA checkpoint, right? Just going through, going before they bring the entrance, the priest checks on it. And what will happen at this point? What will happen at this point is that then the worshiper will lay a hand on the animal's head. Well, first, let me back up a little bit. So with the birds, so the birds are the same thing. They're, they're supposed to bring, uh, they're supposed to bring a bird, but here's the difference. With the bird offering, you notice with me, in verse, in verse 14, it says just to bring a bird that's of a turtle dove or pigeons. It doesn't talk about whether it's male or without blemish. So it seems like with the bird offering, it doesn't really matter for that. Probably because, probably because the worshiper who's bringing the bird offering is already struggling. He probably doesn't have like this flock of birds around. Right? They're, just, they're, they're just trying to get by, so they're doing the best they can. All right. And so that, that's all the requirement is for the bird offering. That is, this has to be a dove or a pigeon. All right. A dove or a pigeon. All right. Now notice here, for the offering, there's now this laying of the hand. All right. Verse 4, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. All right. So he lays his hand on them. Alright, and we got, we got to keep in mind, this hand that's being laid upon the head of the burnt offering, we're, we're not talking about this gentle caress on the head, alright? We're not petting the offering, right? we're not like calming them down before the sacrifice, that's not, that's not what's happening here. Uh, the word to lay a hand in Hebrew is actually just some force to it. You're actually leaning on the animal, it says. You're putting pressure on the head, alright? This, this is not necessarily, you're not pinning necessarily the, the, the sacrifice down. But you're you're but you're doing more force than just simply caressing the animal's head. All right. We'll discuss the significance behind this later. But I just want you guys I just want you guys to know that, that that's what's happening here. All right. You're laying this hand, or you're putting you're leaning on the you're leaning on the animal's head here. Okay. And obviously we don't have that command in for the bird offerings because you can't necessarily do that with the birds. All right. Then the worshiper. After doing that, so as they're leaning their hand on head, they're most likely they're also saying something. They're most likely saying prayer. They're most likely, or they're, they're saying their own sins. They're, they're, they're giving the reason behind this offering to God. And, as they, and once that's done, the worshiper, all right? So that means the person who's bringing this offering kills the animal. Imagine that. You're the one taking a sheep that you raised, your best one. You're bringing it to the tent. You're bringing it to the entrance to the courtyard. You have inspected. You push your hand onto this head. You say the reason why you're here. And then you're the one who has to butcher the animal. This is active. This is bloody. You're getting your hands dirty. 
You're the one who brings the sacrifice. You're the one who's going to kill the animal. It says here in verse 5, Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And then the priest comes in. Then the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the side of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of me. So, that, so that they'll take the blood and they'll throw it against the altar of burnt offerings. All right? the altar of burnt, so that's the one outside of the tent of meetings in the courtyard. And so, and after that, it says here in verse 6 that, again, the worshiper is involved in this. The worshiper will now take the dead animal and he shall flay the burnt offering, meaning he'll skin it. Skin the burnt offering, all right? So, so, so the Israelites are going to be pretty skilled at this, all right? This is, they're, imagine, they're doing this twice a day, right? Within a week or so, they're going to be experts at skinning and cutting up these animals. All right, so they're going to flay the burnt offering, skin it. And they're going to cut into pieces. And then, the, and then the, after you're doing the pieces, then the priest again will come in, take all the pieces, put it on the altar, and burn it. Right. Yeah, that's what's happening here. There is still... Well, let me first talk about the bird offering. The bird offering, though, is a little different. You bring the bird offering, and it says here in verse 15, that the priest will take it and wring his head... And burn it on the altar. So the priest is the one here killing the bird. Not, not the person who's burning it. Again, not too sure why, but this is just what God ordained. So the priest is the one who's killing the bird. And the blood will be drained again at the side of the altar. Alright. So we see here again, different people involved with these different offerings. But the worshiper here, there's one last step for the worshiper. If you're bringing the animal, after you cut it into pieces, you also have to wash the animal. You have to wash, it says here, uh, it says here in verse, verse 9, it's entrails in its legs, most likely referring to the hind legs. You shall wash with water. And that's what the, the, the laver was for, right? Within the, within the courtyard. It's to wash the animals, to wash the carcass. Really what it's doing, the, the entrails in, is, is the guts. The intestines, it's, it's, it's everything that's going inside. So what you're doing is you're washing away really all the dung from the carcass. You're washing away all the dung. You're making what's unclean clean, right? So you're washing all that away. You're doing the same thing with the birds, right? In verse 17, it says here, uh, sorry, verse 16. Verse 16, the person who's bringing the offering, he, so usually when within this burnt offering, just to understand how to read it, when it's a singular person, when it's talking about a singular person, he is talking about the person who's bringing the offering. And then the priest is plural. So they say they, they're referring to the priest. Right? So verse 16, he, the, the worshiper, the person who's offering this, he shall remove its crop from its contents. Now, with, in the Hebrew, that's actually really hard to translate. They don't really know what's going on here. But most likely what, is, what it means is that you're also cleaning the bird. You're cleaning the bird up. All right. And so we see here that the worshiper is supposed to clean the carcass and then the priest will take it and finally burn everything. Burn the entire carcass. Everything. Nothing remains. The entire animal burned at the altar. So that's what's going on here. Now, think for a moment what this looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. You wake up, you say to yourself, all right, time to go do a burnt offering. Then you, after your burnt offering, you go about your day, you work the fields, you do, do it to your day job, you meet your family, you meet your friends, you go out to dinner, come back in the evening, make another burnt offering. Imagine you're bringing your burnt offering, and you're waiting in line at the, at the entrance because all the Israel is supposed to do this. Everyone. Long line, right? Disneyland long lines, and we're, we're, we're and everyone's bringing animals, and, and and there's constantly being animals being slaughtered, being burned, being cleaned. You see smoke coming constantly coming out of the courtyard, rising up, ascending to God. Constant smoke, a pillar of smoke rising up. I think about what that does to you if you're doing that habitually day by day. How much of that will remind you that you belong to God? Right? 
It's a reason why we ask you guys even today for for the church to practice your spiritual disciplines. Pray to God day and night. Read your Bible. Bring yourself to the cross. Remember who you belong to. But here, there's something physical about this. You see the smoke coming on? The, the entire campsite probably smells like barbecue. Right? And you're, you're, you're constantly reminded of all of this, right? I don't know how, if the barbecue smells good or not, but you know, you're smelling it all, right? It, it's, you're constantly reminded that you're doing, that you are God's people. You are God's people. I mean, think for a moment. Again, it's not about the rituals here. You gotta keep that in mind. It's not necessarily about the ritual itself. Because, you know, if you're doing this every day, there will be days when you get up. And again, remember, the Israelites, they're human, right? There are days they're gonna get up, and they're gonna look upon, they're gonna be like, man, do I have to kill another one of my herd? Can I just take a bird instead and do this? And perhaps something something did that. They were like, even though they had the means to offer one from the herd or one from the flock, they decided to take a bird offering because it's just easier. They don't have to get their hands dirty, the priest will take care of it all. And it's cheaper. You see, it's not about that. It's about the heart. Are you truly giving your best to God? Are you truly consecrating yourself and dedicating yourself wholly? To God, are you truly committing your life to serve and obey the God who saved you, who took you out of Egypt and bring you to a better land? Are you trusting in Him? You see, this daily routine, this daily routine is not about, hey, if you do this, then you belong to me. This daily routine is really a reminder that you've been saved. You've been saved by God's grace, and He is with you, and He's walking with you. His cloud is there surrounding the tabernacle. God is real. I mean, it's physical. You can see it. God is real. His holiness surrounds the temple. And the only way for you to truly walk with Him, to show that you truly care that He saved you, that He is your God, the way to do that is through these burnt offerings. The way to dwell in His holy presence it's through these sacrifices. It's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to Israel about who God is, His holiness, His grace. It's a reminder to you about your sinfulness and, your ble- and the blessing that you have received from God. Imagine what that's like to do this every single day. But what's the point of the burnt offering then? What exactly, why did God ordain all of this? What is all this mean? I want us to think a little bit about the purpose behind what we just saw here. Scholars and commentators, they, they note that the burnt offering is probably one of the most common offering. It's, it's the most common one, and it's, and, it's, and it's important. It's common and important, probably for various reasons. And the reasons isn't explicitly stated here in Leviticus chapter 1. We actually kind of have to look outside of Leviticus, right? For instance, Noah. Noah, after the flood, in Genesis chapter 8, after he got off the ark and his feet landed on dry land, he offered the Lord a burnt offering. It says that in Genesis chapter 8, 21. And when the Lord did that, it says the Roman was pleasing to God, and God says he makes a promise. God makes a covenantal promise that he will never flood the earth again. And so it seems like here in Genesis that the burnt offering could be seen as either an offering of thanksgiving, or Noah's appeasing God to never flood the earth again, or it could be both. Perhaps the most well-known illustration of a burnt offering is Abraham. Abraham, when he was told to go up the mountain with his son Isaac, he was told to bring a burnt offering. Who was the animal to be sacrificed? It was Isaac. Isaac was meant to be a burnt offering. Now we know the story, there's a substitute for Isaac, but here, this burnt offering that Abraham was going to do, it seems to be, it was, it was supposed to be a symbol of Abraham's obedience and trust the Lord. So here, in this context, the burnt offering is a symbol of our obedience to God. One more example. King David, 
when he sinned against the Lord, when he took a census of his nation, and he wasn't supposed to do that, God, as a consequence, God sent a plague upon Israel. And that plague kept going, killed many people. It kept going until David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. 2 Samuel chapter 24. And here we see burnt offerings, since the purpose behind it was more of a redemptive feature. All of this to say is that there seems to be many different reasons behind the burnt offering. But I, I want to argue that there is this one main, central, fundamental, underlying thing that the burnt offering does. And that's found here in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. It says here that when the worshiper brings his offering, he lays his hand, again pressure, presses upon the head of the burnt offering. And it says here, it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. To make atonement for him. Alright, I think that's key here. I, I think that's what's going on with these offerings. What's, so what then does it mean to make an atonement? Right? To make atonement, there's two, there's two ways of translating to make atonement from the Hebrew. Alright, to make atonement is like a direct translation, but there's two meanings behind it. One of the means is to wipe clean. Right, you're wiping something clean. You're purifying something. All right, um, and so you're, you're 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 yeah, you're making something that's unclean clean. But the second definition is to pay a ransom. You're you're paying a debt bond. You're paying a ransom. And we see here that atonement is what's necessary. Atonement is one of the key things of it because atonement is what's necessary for a man. To have a relationship with God. So when, what does the burnt offering here do? Which definition here does the burnt offering accomplish? Well, I'll argue that both of these definitions for atonement, is, we see both definitions actually come in play with both the burnt offerings and the sin offerings. But here's the difference. The sin offerings, which we'll study later when we get to chapter 4, they're also used to make atonement, but the focus of those offerings, the sin offerings, the focus is actually where is the blood being sprinkled. It seems like the sin offering, the main purpose behind, the main focus of it when we talk about atonement, is what it means to wipe clean, what it means to purify the sanctuary of God and the people, both of which have been defiled by sin. The burnt offering, on the other hand, seems to have a focus, even though there is a purification aspect, right? The blood was poured on, next to, on the altar. But the burnt offering seems to have a focus instead upon burning the entire male animal that's perfect without blemish. The burnt offering, keep in mind, is the only offering out of all the five offerings where the entire animal is burned. No parts are spared. So it seems to focus upon that. That this entire animal was burned. Why? As a payment, a ransom. A ransom that divided the worshiper from God. Here, this debt is paid through the burnt offering. With that in mind, let's walk through this process again. Thinking about this. You're taking, you're taking an animal from your herd. A flock, a male, unblemished. And the word unblemished here. All right? We see the word unblemished uh, found in verse 4. Right, A male without blemish. When it's used to describe an animal, it's talking about an animal who is, has these perfect complexions, right? You're talking about physical attributes. But when the same word is used to describe a human being, that same Hebrew word is translated as blameless. Blameless. So here, the unblemished animal serves to symbolize a morally blameless life. A life that is righteous before God. The animal sacrifice then, the animal that's being sacrificed, is a vicarious substitute. Vicarious because the animal is he's well blemished. So this animal really is supposed to represent this perfect life that this worshiper needs, should be living before God. And it's this blameless life, this righteous life. And what's happening here is that this blameless, unblemished animal, this blameless life, now dies sacrificed in place of the sinner. Again, keep in mind what's going on here. You're taking your hand, 
You're pressing upon the head of the animal. And you're praying, you're speaking. You're, if you're doing it because you realize you're saying you need to, you, you want to atone for your sins. You're, 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 you're sharing your sins. Recognize here what's going on here. Now, if you grew up in the church, and perhaps you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you've heard that this lame hand upon the animal's head represents your sins being transferred to this animal, to this unblemished animal. And so as a result of your sin being transferred, the animal then acts as a sacrifice upon your behalf. Now that is true, except that's not what's happening here in the burnt offering. That is true of what's happening in the Day of Atonement. In the Day of Atonement, there is a scapegoat, right? The scapegoat ritual where you lay hands, you confess the sins. And what happens in the scapegoat? The scapegoat then takes those sins, and the animal is led away from the tabernacle. Why? Because the animal is now with sin. He can't be within the presence of the holy God. Nothing unclean or sinful could come before God. But here with this burnt offering, after the laying of hands, the animal then is killed. Killed within the courtyard. And its carcass isn't thrown out of the courtyard, isn't thrown out of the tent. It's that the carcass is brought in and its blood is painted across the altar. If, if that carcass and the blood was sinful, it doesn't belong there. So what's happening here? What does the animal here represent? The animal here, this, this perfect, unblemished animal being sacrificed, it represents its owner. It's a vicarious substitute for the owner. It's a way, it's saying that the only way for this sinner, this sinful worshiper to draw near to God is through a death of a sinless substitute. The blameless one has to die as a ransom for the sinner. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, and a life must be paid for life. Someone has to pay. Someone has to pay for our sins. And it can't be some other sinner, because that person, because that's, that's, that will be a defiled sacrifice. No, in order for a sinner to live another life, a blameless life, must bear the death that the sinner deserves. What you're doing here, when you're laying your hand upon this unblemished animal, and this innocent little lamb, you're sending it off. You're saying, this is me. This, this lamb is a substitute for me. It's, it represents a righteous life, and it will die in my place. It doesn't deserve to die, but it will die for my sins. Ultimately, God is saying that this, that the only way for humanity, the only way for sinful humanity to re-enter into Eden, to re-enter into paradise, to re-enter into a covenantal relationship with the Holy Lord, the only way for us to come back to God is through death. That's what's going on here. The dead animal the dead animal, again, the entire animal, the, whole, the entire carcass, everything is brought to the altar and burned. And this act of burning here, this act of burning the entire animal, it symbolizes, it really is an act of worship. And it symbolizes the worshiper's wholehearted commitment to the Lord. That really, worship involves everything about who we are. It's a wholehearted way of obeying and walking with God. It's saying, God, I am yours, and my life is an offering. Use me as you will for your glory. Consecrate me. Burn offerings encapsulates what it takes for a worshiper to draw near to God. I mean, we'll see again a lot of different offerings, but the burnt offering is the capstone offering for all of Israel. It's a constant reminder for Israel of what it means to be called God's people. Now, the burnt offerings here may not purify sinners the same way sin offerings do, but reminds the worshippers that their sin must be ransomed through death. 
But more than that, the burnt offering consecrates the worshiper as one who is wholly committed to the Lord. He's saying, this is my entire life, God. Take it, sanctify it, make it yours. One who is committed to God and fully submissive and obedient to his word. Uh, one commentator talking about the burnt offering is talking about the fire and how the fire it, it, it symbolizes sanctification, right? Because I don't know how many guys are pyromaniacs. You guys, I don't know how many guys like enjoying walking fires, that bonfires. Like it, it cha- like it's fire is interesting because when you throw something into the fire, it could be food or it could be something else. The properties of whatever you throw in there changes, right? It disintegrates. It's, something happens to it where it just disappears. In the same way here, when we think about all this flesh, this carcasses being burned, it is now being transformed into this pleasing aroma to the Lord. And one commentator say, say this symbolizes sanctification because in the same way, all believers are being sanctified, being transformed from one glory to another to become obedient disciples of God. And as we watch that smoke rise in heaven, it reminds us that this is the way for us to return to God's dwelling place. Finally, I want to talk about how the burnt offerings then, how today our present fulfillment of the burnt offerings is found in Christ. Because Christ, Christ is our perfect and blameless substitute. The reason why we don't need to do any more burnt offerings as people of God, the reason why we don't need to you know, find some kind of animal that's perfect and bring it in and burn it, like our church will have a know, tire fire going on in the middle of the parking lot. The reason why we don't need to do any of that is because Jesus Christ is our perfect and blameless substitute. He's our perfect and blameless substitute. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died as a sinless Savior on the cross. He died bearing your sin. He died so that you could be brought in here to God. Jesus Christ is our one and final burnt offering to God. Let me ask you this. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to know Him. Because he, he did this for you. So that you can be brought again to God. Perhaps one of the questions you're asking yourself, perhaps for some of us who are believers, who are wrestling with this, we're asking ourselves before God and we're wondering, are we accepted by God? Perhaps you recognize your own sinfulness, or you're just wrestling with being devoted to God. And you're asking yourself day by day, does God accept me for who I am? Acceptance is something that we all long for. It's one reason why social media exists and blows up for what it is. It's because we're looking for acceptance from people, from the public. We're looking for acceptance from our parents. A lot of times when we wrestle with, with, with shame or we wrestle with uh, public affirmation from people. We, we wrestle with people wanting people to like us. One reason that is because a lot of times we never found that affirmation and acceptance from our own parents. Acceptance is something that we all wrestle with, that we all want from one place or the other. We want acceptance from people. We want acceptance from those we respect, our heroes. And when it comes before God, it's the same thing. Does God accept you? What questions do you ask yourself before God? I want you to see here that the reason why we can invite you in and we welcome all people, the reason why we say the gospel can reach every single person is because God does indeed accept you. But it's not because of who you are. God accepts you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He became that perfect Sacrifice. He became that blameless life. And upon the cross, He took your sins so that His righteousness becomes yours. 
God accepts you. You see, what's going on here is that when we come to God, we come to God, we, and we come to God through Jesus. And as we do that, it brings us closer to God and it brings us to worship Him. You see, burnt offerings, it's meant to be worshipped to God. It wasn't necessarily about the animal sacrifices. Remember, God provided many different ways, different animals to be sacrificed. It wasn't really about which animal. It's about you and your personal sacrifice. And it's about you dying to yourself to live for God. In other words, burnt offerings was about your full commitment and obedience to the Lord. It's about you trusting in Him, to, to dwell with Him. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul here writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Like it's, there's this physicalness, this all asking your bodies, your entire self, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do you come to worship God? Remember how I started off this message. God, God here is setting the terms for how people have to come and worship Him. How His people come. We worship God in His terms. In God's terms demands purity and holiness. It demands our entire lives. But the greatest news is this. Jesus fulfilled those terms. He fulfilled those terms so that we can now freely come to God and worship Him in holiness. Perhaps as you're reading something like this, and you're wondering yourself, can you commit yourself to God the same way of what these offerings are meant to represent? Can you dedicate your life to God? Because perhaps you're wrestling with this. You're, you're, every day you're slammed. If you're in school, you're, you have homework, you have tests to study for. If, you have, if you're on your break still, free time, what do I do with it? Do I, am I using it for God? Am I consecrating myself, dedicating my life, everything I do for God? And you're wondering yourself, you're wrestling, you're feeling, and perhaps you feel inadequate, and perhaps you feel it's not enough. Perhaps you feel God keeps demanding more. And you don't know what else you can give. Or maybe you have hidden sins and you don't feel holy enough. And you're like, I can't worship God. Again, coming back to this topic of acceptance. You cannot make yourself more acceptable to God. You're accepted by God because of Christ. He took your place. He died your death. He covers you with His atoning sacrifice. He covered the stench of your sins with the pleasing aroma of His sacrifice, His righteousness. And what that does is it frees us. It frees us because we know we are accepted by God. It frees us to come to God, not looking to earn His respect, earn His acceptance. It frees us to come to worship God because by His grace we are drawn near to Him. You offer your life as a living sacrifice, as worship. Not to earn your way, but you worship God because you're saved by His grace alone. I would look here again, Romans 12, 1 says here, God, Paul here says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies. Meaning, we're already brought in. Now present your bodies. Present all who you are to God as a living sacrifice. When you come to God in this way, it frees you to truly commit yourself to Him in all ways. To know Him and to be in His holy presence. And so the big idea of this message is this. Holy and actively offer your life as worship to God by committing yourself to do what? To know Christ. Know Christ who is the sinless substitute. The one that died on the cross for your sins. Live your life with God. 
worship him. It's worth everything. But do it because you recognize, you remember that God called you first. God saved you first. God looked upon you, called you by your name. He says, you are mine. Now live for me. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now. And in our prayers, I pray that we lift up, I pray that we will lift up our lives, our souls, our hearts, our minds, everything of all we are. Lord, I pray that we will lift ourselves up to you as a living sacrifice. That God, we will recognize that Lord, we are able to do this because you called us, because you saved us, because you put your son on the cross for our sins. Lord, because of that, we are now drawn near to you. What, what a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful gift. To know that we are accepted into your presence because of Jesus Christ. Lord, because of that, may we then worship you with all that we are. Because you deserve our lives. You deserve everything, all that we are. Lord, help us see who you, help us see you in your glory, your majesty. Help us come to know your grace and your love. Lord, fill us up with your spirit and help us be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Into the image of your son. Help us live a life that's worthy of your name. Thank you, God, for bringing us here. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's wrestling with their faith, anyone here is wrestling with whether or not they belong to you, I pray, God, that your spirit will open their eyes up, and that they will come to see Christ and see his word, see his righteousness, and come to cling to that and rejoice in that with all of who they are. I pray, Lord, that they will come to know you. Thank you, God, for being such a good and gracious God. Let us now come to you and sing to you. Fellowship together as one. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.